Podcast episode 283. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I cross the streams. I don't always do that. I don't like to do that very much. But when you produce a podcast professionally, you're always on the hunt for more guests. Normally, I'm not poaching guests from anyone that I work with. The John of All Trades podcast is but one of four podcasts I produce. The other three are Profits and Purpose, Common Sense Digest, and Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch. And it was in recording an episode of Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, which is a phenomenal show, by the way. Dr. Cheryl Ziegler, just an incredible psychotherapist, having wonderful conversations about anxiety and parenting and homework strategies and all sorts of interesting topics pertinent to parents and anyone interested in mental health anywhere. Just a terrific show that I feel very blessed to be a part of. She was talking to this week's guest, Dr. Michelle Borba who's a parenting and child expert, an educational psychologist, a best-selling author, and a speaker. And as I'm producing that episode, I'm sitting there listening going, she is phenomenal. She is an absolute force of nature. And man, what a conversation. But we got done, and we were all just chit-chatting, and she goes, look, if you know of anyone else who has a podcast, I will go on it, because she is in the middle of a publicity push for her new book, Thrivers. And so Dr. Cheryl said, oh, I know this one and this one, and I go, uh, excuse me, Dr. Cheryl... Can I intervene? Would it be out of line if I invited her on my podcast? And she said, no, go ahead, of course. So I gave her the brief pitch. She said, yes, send me an email. Let's get it set up. Now, here's something to know about Dr. Michelle Borba. As she was scheduling my little show, my little corner of the internet that I'm very proud of, but takes up a very small amount of bandwidth in terms of how much you recognize it and how much space it takes in people's brains, outside of mine, of course. As she's scheduling with me, She's also scheduling with the Today Show. She's scheduling with Dr. Phil. She's scheduling with that syndicated show, The Doctors. And I'm thinking, wow. Okay, this woman is an absolute force of nature. And this conversation is proof positive of that. Because first of all, her book, Thrivers, phenomenal. The full title, Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. There's seven teachable skills in it, and they're good for kids of any age. I loved talking about it. As a parent, it's always useful to infer that some of the things that you do and believe in are reaffirmed by someone who's an expert of this stature. That's a big deal. That's really helpful. And secondly, she is so dialed in. She is so savvy and so quick that she kept me on my toes as an interviewer. I love that. The raw audio of our conversation is something like 36 minutes, and it flies, man. It flies. You'll hear, we're talking at a very rapid clip. This is a little bit faster than I normally talk on this show, but I kind of liked that challenge because here's a little bit of inside info for you. Anytime you're interviewing someone who has been interviewed a lot, you better come correct. Like you better bring your A game. And it was useful because I got to hear her interviewed in its entirety once with Dr. Cheryl. So I kind of knew what to expect and knew what direction I wanted to take it in. But anytime I'm interviewing a musician or a comedian or someone of prominence who has been on the record a ton, I know I got to bring my A game. And my hope 
And my belief and my suspicion is that I did that in this episode. So I only tell you that because I wanted you to get the most out of this that you possibly could. And I worked really hard to put together a great show for you. Whether I succeeded or not, that's up to you. But I think there's a ton of value to be had here. And I'm thrilled to feature the work of someone as internationally renowned for good reason as Dr. Michelle Borba. We're going to get to that conversation in just a second. But as I mentioned, one of the things I do professionally is I produce podcasts. So if you're thinking about producing a podcast, if you have an idea for a show, if your organization needs to tell its story in a new way, touch people on an emotional level, get your message out in an unconventional format, I can help you put a podcast together. I can help you conceptualize the show. Everything from everything from what do we want people to think, do, or feel as a result of having listened to this show to how often should I do this show? How long should it run? What kinds of aesthetic choices should I make? How do I get this on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and all the other podcatchers? Down to the minutia that you could easily Google, but is easier if you've got someone coaching you, like what kinds of equipment do I need? What kind of editing software do I use? I am a resource for getting your podcast up and running. So should you have a podcast on the brain, hit me up. My company is Deft Communications. On the web, that's D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. If you want to email me, it's John, J-O-N at Deftcom dot U-S, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I will get you set up. And hey, if you've got some PR you need to do, that's my bread and butter. I've been doing that for more than a decade. I'm resourceful. I'm unconventional. So since I don't always talk a ton about what I do in my day job, thought it a perfect time because I'm crossing the streams a little bit here. Never borrowed a guest from another show I produced. This is a first, but it's a good one. It's Dr. Michelle Borba. She's a parenting and child expert. She's an educational psychologist. She's a best-selling author. Her new book, Thrivers, is available everywhere. Go to johnofalltrades.us in the companion blog piece. You'll find a link to it. She's my guest on episode 283 of the John of All Trades podcast, which starts right now. The book just came out yesterday. We're doing the Today Show I guess tomorrow and then Dr. Phil tomorrow and then the doctors, but everybody's Zoom links are nuts for some reason. Uh, I found iTunes was was really um, chafing my style the other day. And so you never know with technology, right? I mean, it's been a yeah, year it, of this and who who knows, right? Exactly. But uh, so, I mean, are you pretty much just, are you sitting like where you are now doing media mm-hmm. interviews with all types, all the way from the Today Show, as you mentioned, to Dr. Phil, to the doctors, to little old me? Yeah. Wow. Uh, how are you at the end of a day then? Oh, I am vaporized. I mean, seriously, I, I get so t- Because I started at uh, 5 a.m. this morning doing a keynote to Washington, D.C. And, John, the, the most difficult thing I do is keynotes when you're facing a screen and you're not facing an audience and you're talking about children's mental health and well-being and oh god i get done with it and i'm just like dead hoping that you're going to resonate with a person yeah no joke and you never know because i do zoom trainings myself and Uh it i don't know if you ever like when you try to incorporate humor but there's no laughter there's no nothing you can't tell exactly well here's the other thing i'm crying by myself (laughs) (laughs) some of the stories are really hard but you're not going oh god you're wondering what a fool I am. <laughs> but anyway. So this is Dr. Michelle Borba, someone I was introduced to through Dr. Cheryl's podcast. 
and who is an absolute ray of sunshine and a remarkable expert in the world of educational psychology. And if you go to your website, it's michelleborba.com, which is with one L, and you look at your bio, it is staggering, uh, the, oh. the career <laughs> that you've built for yourself. Now you're making me feel old. <laughs> well, no, uh, I, I have a tendency to do that when I start to lionize my guests a little bit, but like, here's the thing. There's media hits from, from the highest of the high all the way all around the world. And, uh, you've written how many books now? This would be number 24. Number 24. Wow. Oh, no, no. I had a middle school teacher who said, Michelle, when you grow up, you should be a writer. All you need is one teacher to plant that in your head. And Mrs. Nunley was my godsend. So it's amazing the power an adult can have when they figure out what, you, what you're good at. I love to write. Yeah, no joke. Have you managed to tell that to that teacher? Have you reconnected with her and showed her uh, all of your work? What I did take her to dinner. Unfortunately, she's passed away, but I've had some, yes, amazing live. I had another teacher who told me in high school that when I grew up, I should be a writer, two of them. So I'll never forget when I finished the first book of my life, I decided I was going to go back to my high school, hand him the book. He had the same bulletin boards up that he had from like 20 years earlier. Of course. I walked in and I had to introduce myself because I didn't think he knew who I was. But I just said, Mr. Jolson, I just wanted you to know that I owe this to you. Thank you. And I'll never forget it. He turns, he looks at it. He gets a little teary-eyed, pats me on the back and said, I knew you could do this. <laughs> oh, man. Just oh, pure destruction when that happens. Yeah. And, I mean, teachers don't always get to hear that too. They, they, they don't know. They send you off and they, they hope for the best, but it's rare that they get that in return. So, I mean, that had to feel really good. It had to feel really good, but you know what? Teachers right now are becoming first responders to children. I think we need to ranch out because they're feeling very burnout. They can't reach kids. They're really worried about them. And maybe it's our turn to call up a teacher and say, what can I do for you? Cause yeah. we need to do that. Absolutely. So you always love to write, which academia is a perfect place to go if you love to write. And I know that because I got my master's degree in speech communication and people would say, oh, you know, I hate writing papers. I have this five page essay or whatever to do. And I go, really? Because we, we get ceilings on how long our papers can actually be. You know, they say no more than 20 pages or no more than 25 pages. And you go, how can I make this argument in less than 25 pages? <laughs> And so if you love to write, I, I mean, that makes sense. Did you always have your eye on academia? Because, I mean, you have a PhD. Um, no. Oh, then what, no. what led you down I that path? I to tell you, no, because the last, my mother was a teacher. My dad was a superintendent. The last thing I was going to be was be a teacher. But I remember my mom <laughs> would always give me, when the time I was probably in kindergarten, little journals. So it was, I always learned to write stuff out but I was going to go in a different direction. But along the way, uh, actually, Thrivers caught me by a waystorm. This last book that I wrote, by fluke again, I, so much of my life has been a fluke, but you got to follow the flukes because it's amazing what it'll end up. I'd come home from college my second year. I was at UC Davis, history major. That's what I was going to be. And my dad, calm guy, was standing there holding a Newsweek magazine in his hand. And the cover of it, to this day, it's still in my brain. The cover of what was babies. And it said, it's the first three, first three years of life will make or break your child. He looked at me and said, if this is true, I'd be dead today. So don't <laughs> buy into it. 
Now, I had nothing to, I didn't know anything about my dad it, because he married older. He never shared about his childhood. I never met my grandparents, but he began to tell me that immigrants coming over, no English, extremely poor. And then my dad's father at age two passed away. My grandmother couldn't afford anything. So I had to put the children in an orphanage in order to survive. Oh, geez. Now, part two is, she's still, I don't know how they made it, but he said, I made it because people didn't buy into this. The people in the orphanage, they were so loving and so caring, they helped me. The local public librarian always knew that I was poor poor, and had extra books that she'd tell me to sneak out. The priest down the street would say, I know you're poor, Daddy, so come on over and ring the bell, and he'd give me steak or something to take home. The neighbor next door helped me learn perseverance by raking the leaves. He said, everybody taught me, and as a result, I'm alive and survived today because of the village. That was when I learned resilience can be taught. And it's been 30 years writing the book Thrivers, the surprising reasons why some kids struggle and others shine. But it was my dad who convinced me this is doable and you better get it out. I went back to school that day and changed the psychology as a major. (laughs) That was it. That, well, I mean, that's a remarkable inflection point because not everyone can pinpoint the moment exactly like that. But the fact that you can, and the fact that thirty years later you're you're writing about uh, you're writing about thrivers, which you were on Doctor uh, Cheryl's podcast talking about this, which is how we got introduced. Yes. Um, as, as you're out, you know, promoting this book, uh, I was struck by that book because I feel like my parents did a good job of instilling that in me, helping me thrive. One of the things that you focus on in here, and I'd like to talk about some of the things, let's not do this exactly the same way as we did with Dr. Cheryl, but my dad always said to me, I was always very good at school, and I like to think that I'm a smart guy, but there's a difference between being smart and being good at school. So, I mean, I like to think that I have both, but my dad always said to me, don't let your schooling get in the way of your education. That should be a billboard. <laughs> so you like that. Have you heard that before? And is that sort no, of a part? I have, I have not, but I am right there with your dad. Because I think what we've done is we put all our time and energy into the GPA and the test score and that knowledge base because we desperately want our kids to succeed. And, oh, we love them desperately. But what we fail to realize is that they need more than the GPA. That may get them to college. But the fascinating thing is the number one time our kids are more likely to drop out is end of freshman year, first semester of college. Yes. Because they don't know the other side of how to handle life. And college counselors are saying our kids are up a creek because they're the smartest on record, but they don't know how to get along with each other. They're, they, many of them now no longer want a roommate because they don't know <laughs> how to connect. They don't have enough time. These are Ivy League schools. They don't have enough time and and resources because their mental health needs are so huge. I wrote Thrivers because I saw the trend that one in five American kids is now going to be diagnosed with some kind of a mental health disorder. One in five. Now, then came the pandemic. They're also the loneliest, most stressed generation on record. And I'm seeing to myself, the only thing we did is uh, go back to your dad is put it all into one package of the cognitive hype and we've missed the other parts of the whole rounded child. That's what Thrivers is, is don't stop helping your kid be smart in school, but let's not forget the other part because 
The seven traits of thrivers, actually fascinating, not only boost resilience and mental health needs, but also help you become a peak performer in a classroom. Right, because, I mean, there's more to, particularly now, we need a lot of complex thinking and a lot of uh, advanced skills that go beyond sort of book smarts and academic smarts, particularly as we relate to each other. And, I mean, I think about if you go on the Internet at any point now, it feels like the entire country is going through a breakup because uh-huh. people are fetishizing, you know, staying home, watching Netflix and ordering in takeout. And it's like, that's a very solitary experience and it's a very pandemic friendly experience. But what I would say is even before the pandemic, that seemed to be the way that culture was trending. And I go, why isn't everyone wanting to go out and connect with each other? I'm an introvert by nature, but even I was thinking it was a little bit much. And it, in your estimation, is that a byproduct of this upbringing where we're so myopically focused on everything that isn't socialization? Well, the interesting thing is kids would say yes. Because when I was writing Drivers, I decided to, okay, we already know what the research is, and I've got all the solid data in front of me. Now my next point is, what do the kids say? So as I was writing it, uh, and all you need to do is ask a kid. They are phenomenal and nail it. 100 kids from coast to coast, and I'd interviewed them an hour each as to, I understand you're the most stressed out generation on record. The first thing they said goes back to you. We are the most stressed out. I said, what's causing it? One thing is we can't read each other anymore. We're looking down. We're not looking up. We are more focused on uh, online stuff as opposed to relating with each other. So somebody needs to teach us those kinds of skills. We don't have time to figure out who we are or even to be social with our friends because we're so programmed. We've got to do this, 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 this. It was extremely depressing to me. Uh, and then we look at the research on resilience. Fascinating because a lot of people think of resilience as a one trait or it's it's locked into DNA or temperament. Uh 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 uh. It's not. It's teachable. Thus, we can teach the stuff in the book Thrivers. But the second thing we know along with it is that it's also made up of uh, skills like number two is em- is empathy. You've got to have connection with people, and if you don't, you tank. You can enjoy your own company and sit around on a couch and read a book. That's absolutely fine. But unless you have some kind of connection, we do know that that's now the, the the highest rank of mental health needs. And why we're all so burnout right now, we've been social distanced since, you know, hunkered down all this time. Uh, by the way, the other thing that's fascinating, back to you again, is that thrivers also have hobbies. Right. They have a time to go, okay, I like I like knitting or I like woodwork or I like, I don't care what you like, but they can use those to decompress And when I asked the kids about your hobbies, they looked at me like, what the heck is a hobby? Because they didn't have the time for them. So maybe there's a little silver lining here is start introducing them as a family and figure out what your kid loves. And there's time for you, the the grown-up, as well as the kid, to start learning how to decompress. I I think that's really insightful. And I'm torn sometimes because my kids are four and a half and six right now. Oh, I love those ages. (laughs) They're very sweet, but they're they're also very, um, I mean, they're still very dependent on you. They're very sort of needy. And I have to fight this temptation to overmanage them. And so sometimes they'll come up to me and they'll be like, Dad, I'm bored. I'm like, you got a whole house full of toys here and a whole house full of things to do. I'm not, and this is what my mom used to say to me, I'm not here to entertain you 24 hours a day. And so I remember talk on Dr. Cheryl's show, 
you mentioned, or maybe Cheryl did, that we have to teach our kids to be bored. Mm -hmm. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Yes, we do, because let's look at thrivers. I mean, we've got this down to science where phenomenal research, longitudinal studies have been tracking kids who have overcome severe adversity, homelessness, schizophrenic parents, I mean, war zones. Why did they make it? There's commonalities. Commonality number one is they've got us, the protective buffer of some kind of an adult who cares desperately about the child and refuses to give up with the child. But the second thing is they have agency, Mm. control over their own life, which doesn't mean you give the four-year-old the car keys, but it means you slowly learn to step back and help the child recognize he can do a lot of this on his own. So your rule number one is never do for your kid what your kid can do for himself. Lawnmower parents, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. I've, yep. I've heard about that and you know, the parents just trying to clear the road. We, we don't want our kids to suffer. We don't want them to feel bad. We don't want to, them to experience pain. So we just clear all the obstacles. Well, they're never going to learn anything that way. Yes. Well, the other thing is remember thrivers have an, I got this kind of an attitude. Okay. So if you've got an, I got that kind of an attitude, it means somebody's instilling that in you. And the best way to do that starting at age three, four and five is when the kid comes crawling home or whatever so upset because of a problem don't rescue them saying here's what to do instead say thank you for telling me and then what you begin to do is though there are seven traits of thrivers each trait has teachable skills and one of those skills in trait number five which is called curiosity you teach problem solving So what else could you have done instead, sweetie pie? Name the problem. What are three things you could do differently? What's the one thing you're going to do now? Right this minute. And you keep adding. So your child knows all he has to do is storm his brain of possibilities, and he'll come up with that answer. That's awesome. It it reminds me of uh, my kids spilled some water or some milk or something. And, uh, you know, the first time they kind of freaked out about it. And the, the second time I go, okay, what do we do when we do that? And now... They know, and they say, can you please get me a towel? I spilled some milk. Because they can't reach it on the counter, so that's where I come in. But they know what the solution is, so you know they, they can ask the correct question to solve the problem at hand. Yes, so. that's it. And they also know this is a really key one because trait number six is perseverance. Yeah. They also, it's okay to fail in your family. Yeah. It's okay to make a mistake because mistakes are learning opportunities. We got to reframe them. And I know that because research is saying our generation of kids does not want to disappoint us. They uh-huh. desperately don't. And so as a result, they're afraid to fail. We're looking at Ivy League college counselors and teachers are saying they're also afraid to raise their hand and get the wrong answer because it'll ding their grade that they've been looking forward to. And there goes another thriving skill, a deeper thinker who wants to think outside the box because that's the kind of kid you want. Don't say yes or no at face value. Where are you getting the source? Dig a little deeper. Find out if that's really true or not. Or for a kid, little younger one, when they give you an answer, you say, convince me. Convince <laughs> me that's right. <laughs> it would be a great moment. I, I'm afraid to do that because my wife was a uh, nationally ranked speaking speech and debate oh. <laughs> at at one point, she was ranked sixth in the nation in speech and debate. She went to 
college on a scholarship for it. So these girls are already genetically going to have the argument gene pretty well developed. So <laughs> convince me I'm going to end up losing. I, I already don't win around here. I'm going to lose a hell of a lot more with That's that advice. Too funny. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know what, John? Just for your own sanity, make sure you have family meetings. Of course. So that everybody gets to share their own ideas, even daddy, who may have a wrong idea. <laughs> right. It's funny, too. I was thinking about something else recently, and we have optimized nearly everything now. And that includes test taking and getting the best grades and uh, almost like a college pipeline. And I think of that in relation to sports. When I was growing up, I played a lot of different sports. You know, I did swimming and I did golf and I did basketball and I did baseball. Every season, it was kind of a different sport. Now, if you're good at something, it seems like they ask you to specialize very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, do you? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on, number one, uh, specializing too early, and number two, the optimization of everything in our culture. Uh, here's the thing that we do know. We do know what ra really raises a talented kid. I think that's number one. The science is amazing from Benjamin Bloom, who studied our top Olympians, our top neurosurgeons, our top artists, our top of the top of the top, to find out how were they raised. That's a great question. And it would have tanked what you just said. Oh, sure. Because the first thing that they discovered about really, really, really talented kids is that they're, they first the parent figures out what their natural strength and talent is, not what mommy wants them to be, what, what really turns that kid on. And the second thing that's fascinating is beginning teachers always of those kids at a young age had one commonality. They didn't drive the kid. They were fun. So they made the sport or they made the art or they made the music fun. By the age of 13, the kid is now driving the parent pushing him because he's so internally driven by it. Now he wants to push the parent. Now here's the other thing that's tragic. We now know that by the age of 13, the average American kid gives up their talent. Oh, geez. Really? Because, yep, uh, I kid you not, that's University of Chicago. They track our most talented children. The number one reason, they don't have enough time to practice that particular talent. Hmm. Okay. I, I would argue your point stands very, very well. How many kids are actually going to be exceptional, uh, exceptional enough at something? So you're talking about the top of the top of the hot top, and that makes sense. Top to of the top, who is going to be the creative geniuses? And our goal is not to raise Albert Einstein. So take a breath. Right. But our goal is to help our child at least figure out who who they are, right. because that who I am kind of a kid actually finds more meaning and purpose. You want a happier kid? That's the kind of kid you want, as opposed to you're going to law school, sweetheart, as opposed to you're going this way. There's a great story in Thrivers on uh, the first chapter, which is confidence. How do you instill confidence in a kid? And it's figuring out who your child is. There's a survey that you can take to figure out what your child's natural talents and strengths and all of that is so that you know that. One dad told me he had his middle school kid and he couldn't understand the sun because it says, like, all he talked about was wolves. He even dreamt about wolves. He says, how the heck do you help a kid figure out wolves? He got he drove me nuts with this. But one day I decided to take him because that's where he wanted to go to Yellowstone. That was our summer trip. I arranged to have him meet with the park ranger. 
And I sat there that day with my mouth open because that kid in the park ranger were discussing the highest level about wolves you could imagine. My kid would politely correct him about stats about wolves. And that was my moment that said, stop trying to push him into law. He's definitely going into biology. I had never realized the love my child naturally had. I needed to stop and figure out who my kid was. That's a great comeback there. That that is, I mean, that's a fantastic lesson. And I think about that against the backdrop. You know, he's going to go into biology, not law. I think about that compared to someone like, if you've ever read Andre Agassi's book, one of the best tennis players of all time. But he hated tennis. Like he grew to hate it because they, his dad was such a martinet about it and so yeah. demanding and just made him practice and, and drill and drill and drill. And so, I mean, nurture the talent that, that the child is expressing, but don't push them even if they have like a super aptitude for it because they'll end up presenting you. Is that a yeah. fair summation? Yes. And you could also take that five levels down and realize as a parent, oh, my God, I don't have that immensely talented kid. You don't have to go back to Emmy Werner, whose research on resilience says, yeah, but the interest in the joy is what's going to help decompress the child so that stress doesn't build. And we are looking at an unprecedented rise in stress and anxiety in our children to the point where we now look at, well, just three months ago. We're now looking at, compared to last year, 31% increase in 12 to 17-year-olds going to ER visits for suicidology. Oh, geez. So let's take a handle on this whole thing of the pandemic. It is unprecedented, but it is also the moment to say, we got to do better here because it may not be another pandemic counter the road, hopefully not, but who knows? What happened is we had prior to this, Okay, we had active shooting drills, we had school shooters, we had fire drills, we had fire evacuations, we have hurricanes. Look at what just happened to Texas last month. It will continue. Adversity is part of our children's lives. You can't bubble wrap them. you got to help them learn how to keep on going and thrive. No, absolutely. And so I I think one of the things I took away from, you know, my reading about Thrivers in advance, I can't wait to read it, the full copy of it, which is now out. By the time this airs, it will have been out for uh, a week when when this episode comes out. Um, and we'll have links to everything in the companion blog piece. That's on johnofalltrades.us. Also in the show notes, if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of a billion other podcatchers, whichever one you get your pods. But one of the And we'll do plugs for that at the end as well. But uh, one of the things that I, I'm kind of distilling this down is resiliency can be taught in kids. Now, we as parents have to be the role models for that. And in some ways, we also have to get out of our own way. So in your estimation and based on what you've written in the book, how do we do both of those things? How do we role model this, but how do we get out of the way when we need to? Well, here's the thing. First of all, back to what you just said, resilient parents are more likely to raise resilient kids. They did number two, just so we have a, yes, we got to get an intentionality on this. The American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Psychological Association have done mind-boggling research on trying to figure out what makes a good parent. And I looked at thousands and thousands of studies. Number They came up with 10 things, but at the top of the list was that we love our kids. We already got that one down. What's number two on the list? Ha ha ha, that we handle our own stress so it doesn't fill over to our kids. Very often, it isn't the stuff we teach our kids, it's how we model ourselves. 
Number three, when you're all going, oh my gosh, now what do I do? You can pick up thrivers and flip to any idea in it and say maybe the best way to teach this is first be intentional that you want to raise a thriver. That's the first step to any change. I mean, put yourself a post-it note on your mirror that says I'm going to raise a thriver so you remind yourself. But the second thing is choose any idea that you think will work for your family or for yourself. And if you teach the skill to your kids, guess what? Anybody who teaches it benefits more themselves. Mm. The goal is keep modeling and teaching it till it's instilled in you and then give enough practice opportunities for your kid to pick it up so he no longer needs your reminder and then you're doing what you asked. You're now stepping back. You know, what you said is so simple in so many ways because it reminds me of something Going back to seventh grade Spanish class, right? We're, we're learning the AR verb chart, which is like one of the first things you learn in Spanish. And the teacher says, can you teach this to each other? And so, you know, she'd given us some instruction and we paired up and we had to like teach it back and forth to each other. I didn't get it until I was teaching it to my friend. I go, Oh, you know what? This actually snapped into place for me. I get it now. And so if you can teach something, You can do it. You can execute it, which is exactly what I'm taking from you. That's it. I think what we've done, simple. We've made it too hard. Don't make it so hard. What we now find is that choose any idea in Thrivers. The ideas, they're all grade level. Here's what to do with little ones. Here's what to do with middle ones. Here's what to do with the big, big, big ones. But if you try to do all these things, your kid will going to take a white flag and say, go live next door. They'll never let you read another book again because we try to get them too many ideas If you do one thing and you keep doing it over and over again, maybe even put it into your every day at 10 o'clock. For instance, when you say, what's an idea? Navy SEALs taught me the fastest way to help you relax. They said, just teach your kid to do a one-two breath. Science-backed, evidence-based one-two breath. What's a one-two breath? The minute you start to feel stressed, you take a slow, deep breath from your abdomen, ride it up like you're going up an escalator, Hold it. Now slowly let it out. The trick they said, exhale must be twice as long as the inhale. You will get the fastest relaxation process you can get. How simple is that? But it never works the first time. So don't go saying, I parent, I tried that. It didn't work. (laughs) Well, you didn't do it enough. In fact, it usually takes around 21 days for a new behavior to kick in. So keep doing it and then add the next thriver skill and the next thriver skill and the next. Wow, that's uh, I mean, and again, try breathing, and 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 you forget that when you're in the moment. You go, you know what? Take a deep breath. I do I do public speaking coaching for people, and I say breathe from your diaphragm. And I I turn and I turn in profile, which everyone always loves this. And I go, you need to take a breath so your stomach sticks out. If your if your shoulders are going up, you're not taking a deep enough breath. If you're breathing from your diaphragm, where your where your stomach is coming out. That's the breath you need before you speak. John, what you just did is exactly what kids need. They need a visual. Too often what we do is we try to tell the skill. Right. You're better off if you show the skill. In fact, little critters, put them on the floor because they breathe too fast, up and down and up and down, they don't get it. You put teddy bear on top of their tummy and you tell them, no, 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 no. Teddy gets scared if you breathe down too fast. Breathe real ah. slow and deep. Slow and deep and count. Other ones, you can also put your back back to back with a child and lock arms. Now, follow my breath. Follow my breath. Up 
down, up, down. I don't care how you teach the child. The key is find what works for the child so he gets it. Then you check to make sure he's got it right, like making a bed. You show it. You do it together. You then take a little bit of a step back and you say, show me till I make sure. Okay, now you got it the rest of your life. You are making your bed yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 100%. When it comes to parenting, I think some parents get worried that it's too late for them. Right. I mean, not going back to that Newsweek article that you cited, you know, certainly everything that happens by the time you're three is going to influence your whole life. That is nonsense. And I think you've thoroughly debunked that. But if you are the parent of, say, a 14 year old or even a 17 year old, it's not too late for them. Why is that? Because we know that those are the ages when brain research, they're completely flipping on their brains and they're still open to possibilities. The problem with the teen is we got to be craftier and more creative. Mm. If we say now everybody, we're going to learn one plus two breathing, they're going to, you know, go out like a lead balloon, but <laughs> be creative because the bottom line to this, it is never too late. It's never too late for us. If it was the entire counseling industry would go out of business. We've got to realize that this stuff is doable. I think what we're doing is, first, we make it too hard. Second of all, we don't do it enough or keep repeating the same little strength or get the kids to buy in. For instance, one of the things we now are doing during social distancing is that there's a group of parents who are connecting. They're telling me that they're reading Thrivers, but they're getting a couple of other like-minded parents to do the same thing. And so they're doing Zoom classes. Sure, the kid has to be on Zoom anyway. But what they're doing is like doing a hobby day together. Oh, fun. So when dad says, okay, I know that I know how to do woodwork and you don't. So I'll teach the kids woodwork who want it. Let's start sharing and raising a village together so we help each other because it's too hard and it's too lonely. Nice. Okay. Well, I, I think that makes great sense. And you're right. A lot of people, I, I just started doing Orange Theory a couple of months ago. And there are folks in there who I can tell and who have told me, Look, I've never worked out before seriously, and it's like, okay, you're middle-aged. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Like, it's never too late to start something new. And, God, I mean, that's encouraging. And I would say, especially in the midst of this pandemic, as hopefully we have a light at the end of the tunnel, people view that as a fresh start and a chance to, to do something new, try a new approach, do something different. Think big, start small is your key. Find one strategy that you want to try that you think your family needs or you need. Ink it. If you're a woman, tell another woman. University of California Davis says that if you do, chances are you're far more likely to actually implement it. Why? Because your friend will call you up and say, did you do it? <laughs> That's what we need. A little accountability partner. But, but keep doing it and keep doing it. And I think the other thing is we get discouraged because we don't see instant success. Right. And you won't because that 14-year-old has spent 14 years doing that other behavior. You're not going to get overnight change tomorrow. Yeah. So keep on going until you do get the change. Okay. I know, uh, I know we, uh, we got to wrap up here soon, but I want to come back to you real quick because you, you have a really, really impressive career with things all over the world, working with, with companies of all sizes and media appearances. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, does that pressure ever get to you? Um, because when, when you level up like that, and and when you have sort of notoriety, do, do you ever feel that? And does it ever weigh you down? Gosh, John, I never felt like that until you just said it. <laughs> I don't you know, buy that for a second. You know what? 
I don't ever see that way. I just see it that when somebody picks up the phone, I don't care who that is, if they sound nice and I like the cause, I just say yes. And I, I don't, doesn't make any difference, you know, if it's a Today Show producer or the mom, you know, down the street who's concerned about their kids, it's the issue I'm worried about more. Wow. Okay. So you don't let any of that noise really get to you. I mean, it, it sounds like you yourself are, are quite the thriver then. I, I'm doing okay. I'm, thank you. My only concern is these darn Zooms these days because <laughs> when you're doing them, that's the pressure. Sure. Uh, so often they're the ones that break the link or something, but it's been, I have been really blessed in that my career, if you want to call it a career, has been fascinating. Uh, I never was a goal setter. Instead, it was when somebody called, if I was interested in the topic and thought I could contribute, I let that be my guide. And in fact, all of those books, honestly, it was an editor who contacted me saying, here's the topic we're looking for. Thrivers was the one I really wanted to write because of my dad. And I was most passionate about this topic for a very long time, but I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't until I got all the clients that finally said, hey, this is doable. The evidence is here. It just hasn't been written that I wrote Thrivers. Well, Michelle, that's interesting to me because a lot of people are chasing the fame. They're chasing the notoriety. And I oh. never I never took you to be that way. But it, it's interesting to me that these opportunities keep coming. And there's another subset of people where opportunity will stand up, look someone in the face and say, I am your opportunity. Yeah. And, and someone will stand there and say back, no, thanks. Sorry, I'm waiting for opportunity here. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've yeah. seen that with friends and, and you go, man, come on. Like that is your opportunity. And it seems like you've always been able to harness that. Well, it, it takes a little vulnerability. Sometimes you may not at all, but what I am most passionate about, if I had a hobby, I'm the one who's the, who's the nerd who just loves to look at research. So I dig a little deeper. I go, oh, this is fascinating stuff. And it's like so interesting. And then it's how do you, how do you punch it up to make it small and nugget size so that you can give it to somebody else? That's fascinating. So you found, I mean, you were a history major beforehand. Uh, and then you switched to psychology. It sounds like once you got in there, was that everything you wanted it to be? Because yeah, that became incredibly interesting. And I just kept widening my horizons from working in, you know, a mental health institution to uh, to gifted and talented kids. And what I found is I don't care where I am. The other thing was my just a gift. I've been invited to speak all over the world. And what I discovered is no matter where I am, kids have exactly the same need. Every kid wants to feel safe, accepted and enough. I don't care where it is. And once you come down to, hey, we're all people, and this is what we need. It becomes a lot more easy. That's phenomenal, and you are an absolute ray of sunshine. Here yeah. is the part on the show where we do plugs. So, where can people find more about you? Where can they find Thrivers? Anything you want to plug right now? It's oh, yours. Thank you. Well, I'm Michelle Borba. I'm a one L Michelle, so I'm M I C H E L E. Borba rhymes with Zorba. That's my website. In fact, I just put a lot of different video clips. So, if you want. Uh, simply, you want to know more about it, it's there. There's an educational discussion guide, free, download it to get it onto the hands of a parent. Thrivers is just about anywhere right now. It's in digital audio and hardback copy. Amazon's got it, and I hope you'll like it because my goal is to get us all 
at least understanding that thrivers are made, not born, and we got to do a little better for our kids' sake. Well, Dr. Michelle Borba, this was just uh, incredible. What a privilege uh, to get to do this with you twice now in two different formats. And I know that anyone who listens to this is going to get a ton of value. I hope they pick up thrivers. And whatever you do next, I wish you continued success. Oh, thank you. And that wraps up episode 283 of the John of All Trades podcast with Dr. Michelle Borba. Man, what a force of nature. What a ray of sunshine. Someone I'm immensely proud to have connected with and shared her insights with you. So be sure to stay up on her work. Be sure to pick up drivers. Go to johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. Or in the show notes, if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your pods, you'll find links to drivers and michelleforba.com. And hey, as long as you're on one of those podcatcher apps, leave us a rating, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button. All of those things help John of All Trades gain visibility. Let's pay some love to our sponsor, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're doing anything online, from building a website to connecting with people on social media or the greater web at large, 4 Degrees will help you get that message right and then get it on the platforms where it will make the most impact. We'll do it for a cost very reasonable. Proud to have them as my sponsor. Hit them up if you're doing anything on the web. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades is on social media. Stay up with us there. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Monday. New episodes drop on Wednesday. I got a brand new one already in the can for you. It's coming up next week. We are pressing up against the seven-year anniversary. That's coming up in two weeks. I'll have an announcement about that soon. Got a really fun guest. Kind of an unconventional show that we're doing there. But I'm out of here for this week. So until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.